0: You know, if um, for those of us who are followers of um, uh, followers of Jesus, I think one of the things we are constantly wrestling with is, is how do I how do we live out our faith publicly, and that's that's something we will be talking a little bit about today. But if you are who we would call an explorer, someone who is uh, just curious about Jesus. So if you're here just because a friend invited you, you have no idea what this Church of Jesus thing is, is, is all about. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you're wondering, why do Christians keep talking about Jesus? Why do Christians keep inviting others who are not Christians to church? Uh, and and I, I'm hoping that this talk gives you um, at least a hint of an answer uh, to that question. So that's perhaps something you can look forward to uh, during the talk. Uh, we're now in the, in the 17th sermon in a series of talks uh, on the biblical book of Daniel. If this is your first time in a church and you've never heard about this guy named Daniel, um, I'll, I'll walk you through the background so you'll be able to track with everything that I'm speaking this morning. Daniel lived about roughly about 600 years before Christ was born. Uh, he was taken captive, almost like a prisoner of war. And he was exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon as a teenager. And he served under almost half a dozen different kings. And every one of those kings that Daniel was forced to serve under tried their best to indoctrinate Daniel into their culture and their religion. But Daniel stood firm and steadfast in his faith in the God of the Bible who would one day send his son Christ Jesus to save the world. It is this Jesus that we sung about this morning. And not only did Daniel remain steadfast in his faith, in the God of the Bible, Daniel was also very public about his faith. And his public faith had a profound influence on many powerful kings. Among those kings was, there was a man, there was a king named Darius. Now Darius as king of Babylon, set up, uh, appointed about 120 officials to, to rule over the entire kingdom. And Daniel was one of them. But Daniel kind of, you know, stood head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of his sheer excellence. He was a cut above the rest. And so the king, King Darius, decided to appoint Daniel as the head over all of these 120, as the head of the entire kingdom. Now, if you're familiar with a modern-day workplace, you'll know that things like this generally don't go well with, with everybody. And, and, and so, quite like uh, what would happen in a modern-day workplace, uh, many of those remaining 119 officials uh, became jealous. And they were so jealous that they came up with a really shrewd plan to kill Daniel. And they knew the way to get to Daniel was through the God he worshipped, the God of the Bible. And so they went to King Darius. They tricked the king into issuing an order that no one should worship any god except King Darius. I mean, they equated this king to God himself and said everybody should worship only Darius for 30 days. If anybody else worships anyone else, any other god, they will be thrown to their death into a den of lions. The passage we're looking at this morning tells us what happens when after Daniel defied the king's command and prayed publicly to his God. The verses will come up for us. Allow me to read that for us. I'm reading from Daniel chapter 6, verses 13 to 23. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, He was greatly distressed because he liked Daniel. He he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him Into the lion's den. Then the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was bought and and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut them out of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done, ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us. Uh, Father, we know that this is an ancient story. But we know it's a story that's relevant to us. We face lines every day and we face lines within the lines of doubt, the lines of fear, the lines of insecurities, the lines of anxieties, of worry, of what our future holds and we face lines on the outside, Lord. And we pray this morning, would you help us see Christ Jesus, to not just see him as beautiful, but to also experience him. As beautiful, may His beauty, may the beauty of Christ Jesus, take away all our fears, calm our hearts, give us faith, give us hope. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us this morning from the passage. The first thing we want we look at is is that we will make both friends and enemies as we live out our identity in Christ. That's for those of us who are followers of Jesus. The second thing we're going to look at from this passage is what does living our identity, living out our identity in Christ among our friends and enemies, what does that really look like in, in the present day and age? And last, we look at finding the faith to face our den of lions, our insecurities, our struggles. And, and so the sermon is titled Living Our Identity. Let's look at the first thing we want to draw for us from the passage. We will make both friends and enemies as we live out our identity in Christ. It's quite obvious from this passage that Daniel made both friends and enemies because he lived out his identity in the God of the Bible. Clearly, a big and powerful group of officials, high officials in the kingdom, his peers, his colleagues, clearly they hated him. And they they hatched a really ingenious plot to get him thrown to the lion's den. Was this a case of mere professional jealousy? Or did they hate Daniel because he lived his identity in the God of the Bible? The passage suggests that it it was the latter. Look at verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Daniel, who's one of the exiles. In saying this, they're actually saying Daniel, who's an outsider. Daniel, who's not one of us. Daniel, who's not like us. Daniel, who's very different from us. Daniel, whose religion is different from us. That's what they were saying. The other officials were jealous of Daniel, not merely because he was excellent and better than them, but because he was an outsider. And was better than them. The root cause of the hatred towards Daniel. Was not his excellence. But his identity. In the God of the Bible. Daniel made enemies. Because he lived his identity in Christ. But he also made friends. By living out the very same identity. In Christ. So who was Daniel's best friend in this passage? The king himself. Darius. Darius was Daniel's best friend. The officials tricked Darius to sign this command, and which even he could not revoke according to the law of the land. His hands were tied. Legally, he could not undo the command, even though he was king. But the love, the compassion, the friendship, the pain Darius felt for Daniel is pretty obvious uh, in the passage. If you look at verses 14, 20, and 23, which will come up for us, Um, And and these kind of describe the emotions that King Darius felt towards Daniel. Darius was distressed and anguished when Daniel was sentenced to death in a den of lions. And Darius was overjoyed when God rescued Daniel from, from the lions. So Daniel made both friends and enemies. As followers of Jesus, we need to understand this. We need to remember this. As we live our lives, as we pursue our careers, as we express the art forms that we are so passionate about, we need to realize that if we are public with our faith as we do these things, we will make both friends and enemies if we live out our identity in Christ. Some people, they're going to admire us for our faith in Jesus. Some people, they are going to hate us for our faith in Jesus. The reality is we all tend to forget this. Jesus warned us about this. He forewarned us about this. Uh, in, in a conversation with one of his disciples, this is what Jesus says. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you. We forget this. And, and we tend to be surprised and angry, and when, when we do something, uh, you know, because of our faith and it kind of doesn't work out, doesn't give us the results we expect. Or, or our, our, our friends with whom we, we take the step of faith of sharing a little bit about Jesus uh, aren't quite happy that, that, that we are doing that. And we forget that, that we will offend people. We forget that we will offend them in two ways. Uh, we forget we'll offend them, or people may dislike us, or we will make enemies when we live out our faith in Jesus. We forget this in two ways. The first way in we forget is that sometimes we are naive; we expect everybody to love us and be best friends with us, even when we are public about our faith, about our identity in Christ. And the second way is is the opposite. We are afraid. We're so afraid that we completely stop being public about our faith, about living our identity in this Christ. And the really sad consequence when we are afraid in living our faith out is that we make neither friends nor enemies by living out our faith, our identity in Christ. You know, it's not just us. Jesus, Jesus himself made both friends and enemies, who were his friends, who were the friends of Jesus, prostitutes, tax collectors, poor people, sick people, rich, even rich and religious people who were willing to challenge the status quo, people who were willing to reconsider religion, people who were willing, who had the guts, who believed in the freedom of expression to rethink the common cultural narrative of what religion was at that point in time. These were friends of Jesus. And Jesus had enemies too. Who were the enemies of Jesus? <laughs> Deeply religious people. <laughs> they were Jesus' biggest enemies. Powerful people. People in power. They were the Romans at that point in time. They were Jesus' biggest enemies. You know, I want to talk to those of us who are explorers of Jesus. You know, if this is your first time in a church, or this is still early days for you to, uh, get, to get, get to understand the church experience, uh, let, me, let me talk to you Uh, for a minute. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had enemies? The the popular narrative, and that's the narrative I guess you believe in, the popular narrative is Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He taught very good things. I'm yet to meet someone who, who, who actually says, no, I think Jesus taught nonsense. I've never met anyone, you know, they might believe in Jesus, they might like Him, they might dislike Him, but they all agree that He was a good teacher. He taught good things. Everybody agrees, and that's a popular narrative, that Jesus did good things to, to poor people, to sick people. He helped. And I don't think anybody ever believes that Jesus did any, any bad thing. If that is the narrative, why on earth did they crucify Him? If Jesus was a good man, why was he crucified? And the answer to that question might um, reshape your narrative of what you believe about Jesus. You see, Jesus himself claimed that he was not just a good teacher. Jesus himself claimed that he was not just a good man. Jesus himself claimed that he was not just a kind man. Jesus claimed that he was the son of God himself. Jesus claimed that he was God himself. Not only that, Jesus claimed that he was the only way anyone, irrespective of their religion, could ever find their way to God. Jesus was hated because of his claim that he was the singular one way to God. And Jesus was crucified because of his claim that he was the son of God. So you see, Jesus was both loved and hated. And he was hated to the point of being crucified to death on a cross. So if you're an explorer and if you're thinking that Jesus, the narrative of Jesus that you have in mind, that he was just a good man, a mere man, mere teacher, you might want to think about that a, a, a little bit this morning. There is a life and death difference in the impression that you have of Jesus as a casual explorer, someone who's just curious about, about, about Jesus. Let me, let me talk to those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who are believers of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I hope this question makes you, gets you to think as, as, it, as it really got me to think. Simple question. Do you have enemies because of your faith? Do you have enemies because you're living out your identity in Christ Jesus? Now, if you and I, if we don't have people who dislike us, because we are living out our identity in Jesus, the question I I, I like to pose before us is this. are we really living out our identity in Jesus? That's something to really think about. Do our friends even know about our faith in Jesus? Do our friends even... Can they even see we are living out our identity in Christ? Friends and the enemies... People who like us and people who dislike us. Presence of both is indeed evidence, is in, is evidence that I am indeed living out my faith in Jesus. And that's the first thing that I wanted to draw for us from this passage. We will make friends, both friends and enemies, as we live out our faith, as we live out our identity in Christ Jesus. That's a given. Don't assume otherwise. The second thing I wanna draw for us from the passage is, what does living our identity in Christ among our friends and enemies, what does that look like, especially in, in the current modern day context? We've established a couple of very obvious things so far from the passage. First, Daniel was public about his faith. Second, Darius was Daniel's friend. Darius, King Darius, really cared for Daniel. And what I'd like to explore here is the interplay between Daniel's faith in God and his friendship with Darius. The interplay between Daniel's faith in God and his friendship with Darius. How did faith impact friendship? That's what we're looking at. To be more specific, through their friendship, how did Daniel's faith influence Darius? This is very relevant to all of us today. I hope all of us have lots and lots and lots of friends outside the church. If all our friends are only in the church, that's, that's, that's a big loss. And I don't think that's true for any of us here. And so the question that I'd like us to really ponder on is how is our faith in Jesus how is that influencing our, our friends? I don't know if you noticed it when we read the passage, but through the friendship, Darius' engagement with the God of Daniel went through a huge transformation. Let's, let's go back to the passage that we read. To begin with, King Darius did not care about Daniel's God. To put it bluntly, Darius cared a damn about Daniel's God. Uh, how do I know this? It's pretty obvious from the passage. Because King Darius did not have a moment's hesitation in signing a command that nobody can pray to any God except himself. Here was a king in his pride, in his self glory, equated himself with God. And not only, he not just equated himself to God, he placed him. Above God. And Daniel kind, I mean Darius kind of ruled that no one can pray to any God except Darius himself. So to begin with, Darius was indifferent and even arrogant toward the God of Daniel, despite their friendship. So Darius begins being arrogant towards the God of Daniel. But Darius's engagement with the God of Daniel changed remarkably the moment Daniel was pushed into the den of suffering. Let me show this to you from the passage. Look at verse 16. So the king's hands are tied. He has no other way, no other option except to push, put Daniel into the den of lions. And this is what happens. So the king gave the order. They bought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. Then the king said to Daniel may your God whom you serve continually this God whom Darius said no one should worship this God whom Darius placed himself above this God and, 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 and Darius is telling Daniel may your God whom I forbid you from worshipping for 30 days. May your God you're here in this den of lines because you worshipped him and I pushed you into this. May your God who you serve continually, rescue you. Can you see this? Darius is almost pleading with the God of Daniel. That night, after Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, the king couldn't sleep. Look at verses 19 and 20. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel... Servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Wow, this is, this is incredible. Stay with me here, please. I, I really want to help us see everything that is happening here. Imagine you are in Darius's place. Right? And imagine you've just sentenced Daniel to death in a den of lions. Daniel has been thrown into the den of lions. A, a, a stone has been rolled over it. A seal placed. No way he can escape. When you go to the den the next day morning, are you going to expect to see Daniel alive? Absolutely not. I can assure you these, these were hungry lions. They were not well-fed lions. Uh, you know, in that time and age, this was perhaps a form of capital punishment. This is where criminals, probably how criminals were sentenced to death. And I can assure you that these were not circus lions that sit on stools and jump through loops. These are trained executioners. These are man-eaters. These lions have a taste for human flesh. Why did Darius go to the den expecting Daniel to be alive there's no way Daniel could have survived the night and yet the king went in the morning with real hope real hope to find Daniel alive Daniel, Darius said cried out from outside the den servant of the living God has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you the king is actually expecting and almost believing that Daniel's God would have saved him. That's remarkable faith. Where did that faith come from? You know, to me, that Daniel was rescued and Daniel survived a night in a den of lions is not the greatest miracle in this passage. Not at all. That King Darius expected and almost believed Daniel's God would save him from the lion ten of lions that to me is the biggest miracle daniel's survival is not the biggest miracle to me darius's faith in the god he persecuted that is the biggest miracle to me can you see this remarkable transformation that happened in king darius's engagement with the god of the bible before this incident, King Darius was arrogant towards the God of the Bible. After this incident, Darius was almost expressing his faith in the God of the Bible. Just one more thing, and I think this is also relevant in our day and age. Darius' faith was born before the miraculous saving of Daniel, not after. See, it's, if, Daniel, if Darius had seen Daniel alive... Right and not affected by the den of lions, then if he had come to believe in in the God of Daniel, well, that's one thing. But that's not what's happening here. (laughs) Darius believed in the God of the Bible before any miracle happened. This is is remarkable faith. Darius goes to the den early in the morning with childlike faith expecting Daniel to be alive. Hang in there with me theres there's more to come. What changed Darius's proud arrogance to God toward God to childlike faith? What brought about this change? What was it that made Darius, who forbid anyone from worshipping God, who made himself above God? what was it that made made Darius change his attitude toward the God of the Bible. I'll tell you what changed Darius. This is what changed Darius. Daniel's suffering and his faithfulness to God, even in his suffering, that's what changed Darius. You see when the great king Darius saw his dear friend Daniel suffer unjustly, unfairly, for no fault of his, because of his faith in God, and when Darius saw Daniel's composure and faithfulness to God even through suffering, faith was birthed in Darius' heart. Darius's trust, Daniel's trust in God even in suffering, birthed faith in Darius' heart. You know, when Daniel was led to the lions, he did not scream. He did not curse. He was led silently to an unfair death. Daniel put his trust in God, even in the den of unfair suffering. Daniel's suffering and his trust in his God through the suffering, that's what birthed faith in Darius' heart. And there's a big lesson here for us about publicly living out our identity in Christ. And here's the lesson for us if we live out our identity in Christ, especially and even through seasons of pain and disappointment, the possibility of our friends and colleagues appreciating and perhaps even accepting our faith increases exponentially. Just like Darius saw Daniel's faith in suffering and his heart was touched, when we walk through seasons of pain and disappointment and suffering and hardship, in our careers, in the cities we live in, in the workplaces, in in our neighborhoods, when when our friends see us walk through suffering with faith and hope and trust in Jesus, when they see that, the chances of them appreciating and perhaps even accepting our faith increases exponentially. Friends, do not underestimate the power of your suffering in birthing faith in the hearts of your friends. If you're going through a really rough patch in your career or as a a professional or as an artist, let's not whine. Let's not grumble. Let's not get bitter. Let's not give up. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that God has called you to suffering in order to inspire others around you to faith in Jesus through your journey through suffering? Could it be? Is this what God's doing? Is this why God has allowed hardship in your life? And that brings us to the third and the last thing that I'd, I'd like to draw for us from this passage. And we'll close with this in about 5-10 minutes or so. The third thing we are looking at is, how do we find the faith to face the den of lions? We have our den of lions, our insecurities, our fears, our anxieties, our worries. And of course, there are lions outside, people who are trying to harm us, a workplace that's, that's perhaps not very friendly to us, a, a boss who's perhaps not fair. And we, we have the lions, we're dealing with our lions too. How do you find the uh, faith to face the den of lions? Look at verse 23 in the passage. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, right at the end of the passage that we read, when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. If you're a follower, I'm going to follower of Jesus, and you know this passage well, I'm going to walk a different path. I'm not going to walk the path. You're probably expecting me to walk at this moment. No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Really? No wound at all? Not even a scratch? I'm sure there are some of us here, even Christians who are thinking, is this really true? Did did Daniel indeed survive the den of lions? Did did God actually shut them out of lions? Is, Is that even possible? Or is this just some kind of a, a fairy tale? I mean, should I, should I you know, put my faith in a, in a fairy tale? This sure sounds like a fairy tale. How, how do I believe? I mean, it just doesn't add up. Is this really true? I, I'm, I, I'm, I want to be very pragmatic. I know those doubts are there in our minds, not just with this passage, but perhaps several other passages in the Bible as well. And about this passage, I want to say, hey, I appreciate your doubts. I, I don't agree with them. But I appreciate your doubts. This is indeed hard to believe. This does sound like a fairy tale. I'll I'll give you that. And so, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to build your case first. Only after I build your case for unbelief will I build my case for faith. Is that a fair deal? I'm going to build your case for unbelief first. And only after I've done a good job of that, I can assure you, will I build my case for faith in Jesus. So here, let me, let me build your case. You may not even have thought of this, but I've thought of this for you. So let me articulate your objection. Let me articulate your, your unbelief. If God really saved Daniel from the den of lions, why has God not saved hundreds of men who were also thrown into the den of lions for precisely the same reason, their faith in Christ Jesus? All of us know that during the early church, the Roman Empire severely persecuted Christians. Many Christians were thrown to lions and wild beasts with an entire stadium turning up to watch and shear them being mauled to death. Where was God? Where was the God of Daniel when this happened through history? Why didn't God save any of them? Where was God when so many people were butchered for their faith in Jesus? See? See? I built your case for unbelief first. You can extend that, that line of thinking. You can extend that argument and say, where is God when there's so much suffering in this world? Why is God so quiet when there's so much evil in this world? You know, at New City, we spend a lot of time you know, trying to serve trafficked women in every way we can. Where is God? Why is God allowing so many women to be abused and exploited? That's your objection. I built your case first. Now allow me to build My case for faith in Christ Jesus. We've been talking about Daniel so far. His suffering, him being persecuted unfairly, unjustly, him being thrown into the den of lions. But now I want to talk about another man like Daniel. This man was far, far better than Daniel. He was infinitely better than Daniel. This man loved and served God more than any man on the face of of the earth like Daniel this man also spent all of his life in exile like Daniel this man was also unjustly thrown to the den of lions like Daniel this man too was unfairly sentenced to death even though the official sentencing to death was on his side Because the officials in both cases knew this man was right. Like like Daniel, this man too was placed in a cave. And like Daniel, a stone, a large stone was rolled over the entrance of this cave too. Like Daniel, the stone that covered the entrance of this man's tomb was also signed and sealed. But, Unlike Daniel, who did not suffer any wounds, this man was mauled to death. This man was beaten black and blue. This man was whipped with a whip of thorns, pieces of his flesh ripped away from his body. With every lash of the whip, pieces of fleshed, Ripped from his back. Ripped from his thighs. Ripped from his face. Ripped from his arms. Not a scratch on Daniel's body. But every inch of flesh on this man's body was ripped away from his very bones. Daniel came out of the den without a scratch. This man. Christ Jesus came out with eternal scars on his hands where they had nailed him to his death on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for your sins and mine, he changed the very narrative of suffering. So if you voice your objection, if you ask me, why did God not save countless others who were killed for their faith in Jesus? I will ask you, why did God not save his only son from death on the cross? Jesus, he changed the very narrative of suffering. The old narrative of suffering was that bad people will suffer, that God will come to punish bad people. Jesus changes that narrative of suffering. Jesus' new narrative is that good people suffer to save bad people. His new narrative of suffering is that God himself, a pure and perfect God, a sinless son of God, will suffer to be a blessing to bad people, to people who mess up, to people who betray friends, to people like you and I, people like us, who in many ways have done things which even we can't forgive ourselves, leave alone God forgiving us. So if you ask me, why is God allowing men and women to suffer in this world? I will ask you, why did God allow his son to suffer death on the cross? Because it is in the answer to this question, it is in the answer to my question, that you can find the answer to your question. God loved the world so much, That his chosen way of saving the world is by sending his son to die in our place. Not just for your sins and mine, but for the sins of everyone who would come to believe in Jesus. Jesus died as a sacrifice to atone for, to pay the punishment for the sins of men and women. He was mauled to death for your sins and mine. And he rose again from the dead as proof that he has indeed purchased forgiveness and freedom for everyone who accepts the sacrifice. This is Jesus, a good God, dying to save bad people. And so I rest my case for faith at the foot of the cross on which Christ Jesus was crucified. You can ask any other God, why is there suffering in the world? But to a God who sent his son to suffer for men, to a God who suffered for the sake of men, we cannot ask this God, why is there suffering in the world? Let me close with a couple of thoughts. To those of us who are still exploring Jesus, allow me to close with a question. Very simple question. Will you believe in this Jesus today? Would you like to shift gears and move from me being a mere explorer of Jesus into embracing this Jesus wholeheartedly to becoming a believer in this Jesus? Will you accept his sacrifice, his death for your sins and mine? To those of us who are followers of Jesus, let me say this. Living, living and proclaiming our identity in Christ, even through suffering, will draw others to Christ. And so will you add faith through your suffering? Will you add faith through your suffering to your evangelism toolkit? Let's pray. Lord, we are here for just one reason, to see Christ Jesus lifted high to see Jesus lifted high. Lord, we pray for those of us who are explorers, who who are new, who are just curious about Jesus. I pray, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in a way that they can understand and comprehend you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, Lord, we pray, give us faith, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us that that we made everything about ourselves. When our work is not going well, we turn to you and ask, why have you allowed this God? Even though we've been far from perfect. And so we pray, help us see all the hardships we face, all the struggles in our careers, Lord. Help us to see all of this through the perspective of Christ. And in and through our hardships, may we display the beauty of Christ to those around us. We worship you.